Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. This is the Misty Winston Show on today's news talk radio, TNT. Well, hey there, and welcome to the Misty Winston Show right here on today's News Talk. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to hang out with me today. Appreciate you. Um, y'all, Christmas, if, if you celebrate Christmas, don't come for me. Don't come for me with the happy holiday stuff. Um, it's like Monday, right? It's crazy. It is crazy. I'm still not ready. I have like 957 presents to wrap. That's going to be my weekend. So, uh send booze. <laughs> I'm probably going to need it. Um, okay. So we have an amazing show lined up. Uh, my pal Scott Horton's going to be here. If you know me, you know, I love Scott Horton. I think he's probably one of our most important anti-war voices that we have out there today. Um, and there's much to discuss, obviously dude's never going to be out of a job. Um, but I wanted to give you an update. I know we've been talking a lot about Palestine. Let's talk about East Palestine, Ohio. Um, something that, uh, uh, uh to my great discredit, um, I have not been keeping up on as much on the show as I should have been. And I made a promise that I would definitely uh, try to keep that story in the headlines. And I have failed. Sorry. I am sorry. I apologize. Um, so much has been going on and I have not been giving it the attention that it does deserve. Um, so for those of you who may not remember, uh, East Palestine, Ohio um, was the town that was hit with the Norfolk Southern train derailment in February of this year. Um, they're still going through it, y'all. They're still going through it. So people are still in the area, are still experiencing symptoms, everything from nosebleeds to nausea to headaches, skin lesions, um, fatigue, you name it. There's still a whole host of issues that they're dealing with. Obviously, um, they're having a difficult time getting people to take them seriously or to attribute those symptoms to the uh, derailment. <laughs> obvious reasons, Norfolk Southern does not want to be held accountable. Um, and in fact, Norfolk Southern, um, despite putting a, a good face forward initially, at least um, uh, superficially, they uh, said, you know, oh, we're going to clean up our mess. We're going to pay for it. We're so sorry. They did all those town halls uh, in the area very soon after the event took place, uh, despite the fact that uh, CEOs and things couldn't be bothered to show up to those. But they did, in fact, hold them um, uh, and would attempt to answer questions, although not often would they actually give an answer. Um, they are very much trying to duck out of responsibilities again. So um, other than they want to um, like refurbish a park, just so ridiculous to me that that's what they've chosen to do to placate the people of East Palestine, Ohio, is to give them a new park to play in with their contaminated soil and their contaminated air and water. It's so stupid. Um, but they are still going through it. But also, I think that it's important that we point out, and this is from about a week ago, um, the EPA is beginning a formal review of vinyl chloride. Um, that was one of the toxic chemicals that burned in the train derailment. And so um, uh, just to give you a heads up about what that is, uh, it says this is from the AP. The Biden administration has initiated a formal evaluation of risks posed by vinyl chloride, the cancer causing chemical that burned in a towering plume of toxic black smoke following a fiery train derailment earlier this year in eastern Ohio. The Environmental Protection Agency said it will review risks posed by a handful of chemicals, including vinyl chloride, which is used to make a variety of plastic products, including pipes, wire, and packaging materials. The chemical is found in polyvinyl chloride plastic, better known as PVC. Uh, the EPA has said that it will study vinyl chloride to determine whether it poses, quote, an unreasonable risk to human health or the environment, end quote, a process that will take at least three years. So, I mean, hey, at least they've initiated that. Um, but I also wanted to point um, 
this is horrendous. So this is actually from earlier this month. And it's, again, I apologize for not being on as on top of the story as I should be. I will try to do better. Um, this is from earlier, earlier this month, December 7th. Norfolk Southern is going to stop payments to displaced East Palestine residents. Um, uh, we'll come, th these payments will come to an end on February 9th. I think the one-year anniversary, I think it's February 3rd of the derailment. So uh, obviously there were many people who were directly, very directly impacted. They chose to relocate. Norfolk Southern was giving them payments um, uh, you know, to deal with hotel costs or whatever it is. Well, they announced just before Christmas, mind you, that they are going to stop those payments uh, and those will come to an end on February 9th. So um, that's great. <laughs> just really great. Uh, they had committed to paying nearly 21 million to residents whose lives were upended by the derailment. Um, uh, there's fewer than 100 households who are still receiving the aid. Most residents have returned to East Palestine. However, most of those people um, felt almost forced to. They don't have anywhere to go. It's not like they can sell their houses. Who's going to buy a house in East Palestine, Ohio? Nobody. Um, and they're all incredibly worried and concerned about the future of their health. Obviously, they're dealing with the current um, symptoms that I mentioned earlier, but we don't know the long-term effects that this is going to have. We don't know if the cancer rates are going to spike or who knows what other kind of health issues that these people may develop, whether it's respiratory issues or, I mean, there's a whole host of things and we just don't know uh, what that will be, what that will look like moving forward. So, um, I will, uh, I promise I will do a better job. I'm going to try to keep this story front of uh, mind and we'll try to talk about it here uh, more often because uh, we definitely cannot forget about these people. They've kind of been left hanging out to dry. So, um, okay, don't forget, you can follow me over on the tweeters at Sarcasm Stardust. Check out the Substack, mistywinston.substack.com. Uh, there's a write-up for the guest of the day every day so you can find, follow, and support their work as well. And shoot me an email, mistywinston at tntradio.live. Guest idea, show idea, rant, question, whatever, hit me up. I'll try to get back to you. Um, and if you miss your favorite TNT radio show or interview, you can listen back whenever you want, wherever you want. Super easy. Um, you can visit the episodes tab on the TNT radio website, which of course is tntradio.live. And then we're also on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, and tune in. So there's no reason for you to miss out on anything here on TNT radio. Clashing on the controversies. It's a woke society and I am fed up with it. Today's news talk radio. TNT. This is super interesting. Right up my alley, an Oklahoma man who spent nearly 50 years in prison for a murder he did not commit was exonerated by a judge on December 19th. This is heartbreaking. Here with this story, joining me now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, aka Ruckus. 50 years, Adam. 50? Yeah. I've heard this happens every once in a while. Um, yeah. It's always. It's so strange because it's good news, right? But it's not I in guess. a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's like it's such a bittersweet, bizarre, like, oh, wow. So uh, it is good, ultimately, that, you sure. know, they're not going to this person is not going to be forced to serve. A, uh, he, he was a former death row inmate, so he was going to be executed for something he didn't do. So it's good that that that, that didn't happen. But it just yeah, exposes sure. A lot of problems that we have with the justice system. This is uh, one Glenn Simmons, uh, 70, who was originally released from prison in July after prosecutors found that important evidence in his case was not turned over to his defense lawyers, resulting in a judge ordering a new trial. In an order on Tuesday this week, Oklahoma County District Judge Amy Palumbo updated the dismissal of his murder conviction and declared him innocent. Judge Palumbo said in a ruling, quote, this court finds by clear 
and convincing evidence that the offense for which Mr. Simmons was convicted, sentenced, and imprisoned in the case at hand, including any lesser included offenses, was not committed by Mr. Simmons, end quote. The former inmate had served uh, 48 years, one month, and 18 days in prison after being convicted and sentenced to death for the 1975 murder of Caroline Sue Rogers, a store clerk. Carolyn, I apologize, Carolyn Sue Rogers, and wounding of another woman, Belinda Brown, which was age 18 at the time, at a liquor store during a robbery in Edmond, Oklahoma, according to the National Registry of Exonerations, which tracks exonerations of innocent criminal defendants. Mr. Simmons, who was 22 at the time, was convicted alongside a co-defendant, Don Roberts, Prosecutors said that Miss Brown, who was shot in the head during the robbery but survived, had identified Mr. Simmons out of a lineup, but failed to tell the jury or defense team that she had also identified other people in the lineup, according to the Death Penalty Information Center. Both Mr. Simmons and Mr. Roberts had their sentences reduced to life in prison in 1977 following a U.S. Supreme Court ruling related to capital punishment. Mr. Roberts was released on parole in 2008. Mr. Simmons has always maintained he did not commit the murder and told law enforcement officials that he was in Harvey, Louisiana at the time of the murder. His aunt, Dorothy Norris, also testified that she had seen him in Harvey, Louisiana on the afternoon of the robbery and shooting and that she also saw him in the morning after in Harvey. Again, this is all according to the National Registry of Exonerations. A district court vacated his sentence in July after determining that prosecutors had not handed over all evidence to his defense lawyers and had violated Mr. Simmons' right to a fair trial. He was subsequently released on bond. In September, Oklahoma County District Attorney Vicki Behen dropped all of the charges against him. Mr. Simmons is believed to be the longest imprisoned U.S. inmate to be exonerated. So this makes history, folks. Mr. Simmons told reporters following Tuesday's decision, quote, it's a lesson in resilience and tenacity. Don't let nobody tell you that it can't happen because it really can, end quote. A lawyer for Mr. Simmons, Joe Norwood, told USA Today that his client had, quote, 50 years stolen from him. He said, quote, the prime of his work life when he could have been getting experiences, developing skills that was taken from him by no fault of his own by other people, end quote. Uh, to make up for it, Mr. Simmons may be eligible for up to $175,000 in compensation from the state for wrongful conviction in the wake of Tuesday's ruling, which also opens up the possibility of a federal lawsuit against Oklahoma City and the law enforcement officers who were involved in his arrest and his conviction. If you so choose, uh, dear listeners and viewers, uh, there is a GoFundMe page set up for Mr. Simmons. I believe it is GoFundMe forward slash F forward slash Glenn R. Simmons. So there you go. Uh, what do you think, Misty? Man, this is not uncommon. First of all, y'all, um, it is. I looked up the wrongful conviction statistics and obviously anything to do with statistics is a little shaky. So it's uh, take this with a little bit of a grain of salt. But uh, according to some studies, most studies, I would say uh, they estimate that anywhere between four and six percent of people who are incarcerated in U.S. prisons are actually innocent. So if you go with the middle there and five percent of individuals are actually innocent, that means one out of every 20 criminal cases results in a wrongful conviction. That is crazy. 
crazy to me. I mean, especially given the amount of people who we have in prison, which is a lot in this country. We are, <laughs> we like putting people in prison. Um, obviously, I, if you, if, I mean, if you know me, you know, I'm a bit of a true crime nerd. So this is something that I uh, pay attention to fairly closely. And listen, this, the, the way that he was um, wrongfully conv convicted, the eyewitness misidentification, that's the big one. That is what happens on a regular basis. Anytime that there is um, uh, a, a situation there where there is a wrongfully accused person, that is almost always the case. It's never, um, you know, uh, where somebody's DNA or whatever. Usually that kind of stuff is a little bit more solid. But eyewitness misidentification is a huge one. In fact, they say that nationally, 28% of all exonerations involve mistaken eyewitness identification. That's a massive number. Um, so, and I just can't, I mean, this guy, this guy, fit hundreds, first of all, the idea that they're offering $175,000 in compensation, not enough. Not enough, not even almost enough. I mean, 50 years of your life, that's, you can't, there's not enough money. There is no dollar amount that uh, makes up for losing 50 years of my life, of my freedom, of time with my family. Just think about, I mean, I'm 41. So I, he, he's been in prison for a longer period of time than I've even been alive. And just thinking of all of the things that I've experienced in my life, birthdays with my kids, visits with my family's vacations, things that I've seen, books that I've read. I mean, obviously, I'm sure he could read books, but you know what I mean? Movies I've seen, things that I've experienced in life that he has been completely robbed of. And especially, um, not only has he been robbed of that stuff, but he's been forced to live in prison, which is horrific conditions, especially in this country. So, yeah, I, the GoFundMe, I think, is uh, at over $190,000, and that's great, but I think that uh, it shouldn't be everyday people who are uh, having to donate to this man. I think that the state of Oklahoma should have to uh, uh, hugely compensate this guy. But what do you think, Adam? 50 years. I can't get over it. It's okay. I just asked our friend Klaus Schwab in the TNT live <laughs> chat if he can spare some change for Glenn. Um, he doesn't seem to be willing to, unfortunately, you know, Klaus, <laughs> <Of course>. um, <laughs> yeah, you guys should be, be in that chat room, by the way, it's some fun times yeah. which, where yeah. I just dropped the link to Glenn's, uh, GoFundMe page. I'm sure Misty will include it on her show notes on her Substack and all of that yes. stuff. Right. Okay. So, um, this is just, it's sad to see, like this happens all the time and, and mm -hmm. then it doesn't always, we don't hear about it. I, I didn't even know. I, I learned something today. I didn't know that there was a website or a group dedicated to tracking oh, yeah. all of the exonerations. And I'm like, isn't this clearly a problem? Um, obviously it is, but I, I can't imagine the, the amount of work or manpower it would take to start revisiting some old cases, particularly from times where this was a known thing to happen. Like if, if you have, how, it shouldn't be that difficult. Maybe we should set some AI on this, Misty. Hint, 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 <laughs> big tech, Silicon Valley. Do your part. We could search some of the old cases and anyone who was like, the only reason they were convicted is because of like a, a semi like just identification from an eyewitness lineup there's so let's re-explore some of this stuff there could be countless others right now suffering in jail uh the only thing real quick is we know he's gonna sue some lawyer will get a hold of him they'll get their claws yeah. in him and they'll they'll convince him to sue and then he'll just lose more years of his life in these giant legal battles and have his name all up in print everywhere and i i wish for his sake that he just avoids all of that and just moves on with his life
personally. Yeah. And I mean, you, especially he's got liver cancer. Enjoy the final years of your life. Unfortunately, I mean, he's what, what'd you say? 70 or 72, something like that. He's, uh, I, unfortunately, I don't mean this to sound crass, but you don't have much time left. Um, so enjoy it. Don't spend that time in uh, court. I mean, what is it really going to get you really um, money? I don't know that there, it, like I said, I don't know that there's a dollar amount that would ever be satisfactory for me. So spend that time with your family, I guess, man, this is a, that's a rough one. 50 years is an incredible amount of time. Uh, I'm glad he's out. And you're right. I'm glad that he wasn't actually, um, you know, murdered. That would have been bad, bad times if they would have actually executed the guy. So, all right, Adam, thanks for bringing us this story. Definitely uh, go over, head over to the GoFundMe page if you feel so inclined and make a donation to Mr. Simmons. Uh, Adam, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Hang tight. We're going to be back with Scott Horton right after this here on TNT Radio. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. And I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities but for most people i would say charlie it feels normal but it ain't normal <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal it's completely gone off kilter charlie robinson on today's news talk radio tnt <laughs> my baby's back from the west coast <laughs> hear those pictures that you asked for for your school project first day of school cute as a button <laughs> so long ago Oh, here's Grandma Florence after that flood wiped out the whole neighborhood. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Ah, those <laughs> beans smell heavenly. Mm -hmm. Give Mom a little credit. <laughs> you know what? We should make an emergency communication plan. That way we're ready this year. Oh, great idea. At my dorm, we have emergency kits for earthquakes and wildfires, but I'm sure there's something more local I can send you with the link. Okay. Smart. I'm coming to share with you guys. Protect your legacy. Plan for natural disasters today. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, y'all. It is Scott Horton Day. You guys know I love when Scott Horton is here. He is, in my opinion, as I mentioned at the top of the show, one of our most important anti-war voices out there today. Uh, he serves currently as the director of the Libertarian Institute and editorial director of antiwar.com. Uh, quick heads up. We've mentioned this several times on the show already, but both of those organizations, which I love, um, are in the middle of their winter fundraisers. So you can head over to libertarian uh, libertarianinstitute.org and antiwar.com if you feel so inclined. Check out their work. Uh, lots of great writers. Uh, the Institute publishes a bunch 
bunch of books. Um, so definitely go check that out. And if you feel so inclined, make a donation. Um, also, uh, Scott is a an incredible author. He's written a ton of books. Um, you can uh, check those out over at the Institute as well. He has uh, Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And he has an upcoming book uh, called Provoked, How Washington Started the New Cold War with Russia and the Catastrophe in Ukraine, which should be out next year. And you can check out Scott's show, The Scott Horton Show. You can find that at scotthorton.org. I think it's also at the Institute, KPFK, if you are uh, uh, if you if you have that availability. Um, uh, and he's done, uh, I think, almost 6,000 interviews since going back all the way to 2003. So uh, definitely plenty of content there for you to check out. So Scott, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Missy. It's great to be back with you. And thank you for that kind introduction. Yeah, no, of course. Um, uh, I've been trying to hype both of the fundraisers as much as I can. I just had Kyle on earlier this week. We talked about uh, both of those. Um, I tell people all the time, I am not a libertarian, but I love the work that's done over at the Libertarian Institute. So uh, it doesn't matter if you're a libertarian or not. Go check it out. Uh, I think most people will like a lot of the stuff that's being done over there. So, all right, let's jump in. Uh, there's a lot to talk about, unfortunately. Let's start with Ukraine. Obviously, you're writing a book about Ukraine. Um, and I think that it's uh, obviously it's kind of taken a backseat to the situation in Gaza, rightfully so, in my opinion opinion. Um, but I think what's interesting here is the way that they are trying to kind of quietly walk back a little bit. Oh, we're starting to see mainstream media take an interesting position um, where they're shifting gears and trying to uh, weasel their way, kind of memory hole their initial position. We're now starting to hear people admit that Ukraine never had a chance. Um, and I think, in fact, uh, Kit Clarenberg actually noticed, who I know you interviewed today, uh, Kit Clarenberg noticed that on Washington Post's website, they have the little tabs at the top of the screen where you know, it's different uh, categories, politics, opinion, style, investigations. And one of those tabs used to be the war in Ukraine that has disappeared from their website. So where do you think we stand now uh, with the situation in Ukraine with Russia? Yeah, oh, well, I think that's a very astute of you, as always, uh, Misty, and especially to focus on the Post, which is, you know, arguably the most important paper in America in terms of their proximity to the CIA and the, the center establishment. And so they're taking down that main link there i think is very important as well as i'm sure you noted uh back what two weeks ago they ran a pretty big two-part special on the failure of the summer offensive and where that leaves ukraine now and now there's this new article in the new york times about how they believe that if they shovel some more money in there that they can prolong this war through 2025 and they hope that they can get Ukraine in a position of strength by then, which is, of course, preposterous. I think what they're really trying to say is keep the war going through Election Day so it's not a total loss before Election Day. So this is all about the president and his power and priorities rather than what's good for America or good for Europe or good for the human race. So, um, you know, I um, I did speak with Kit today. Um, and also, you know, I was interviewed on... Daniel Davis's show, and I'm sure you're aware that he was the great Army whistleblower, one of the great Army whistleblowers. I, I don't mean to neglect uh, the great Matthew Ho. Um, he was State Department at the time. He he was the whistleblower before the Afghan surge, and Davis was the whistleblower after the Afghan surge. Um, in 2012, he came out and told the truth about the total hoax of Obama's escalation and and uh, ultimate his and Petraeus's failure there. But anyway, he hosts his own show now and is a great analyst of the war in Ukraine. And I asked him today, you know, this is much more his uh, speciality than mine. 
how many divisions, how many brigades, how many men does Ukraine have under arms or can they field? And he said it's still in the hundreds of thousands. In other words, yes, apparently, as long as America is willing to continue to shovel the billions of dollars and some weapons in there, they can probably sustain the thing for a while. Uh, unless the Russians make some huge move and crush them and outflank them and, and some massive maneuver, which I don't think seems likely, although who knows, um, you know, they're essentially entrenched now and winning, fighting slow and steady at it as they have been. Uh, so, you know, if, if we're lucky and the thing doesn't spiral out of control to general war, as we've been lucky so far for almost two years, unbelievably, um, if that holds, we could still be looking at another year of what they call the meat grinder, which, and people need to understand if they don't, and I think probably most people paying attention to this do understand we're talking like the Iran Iraq war or what you'd see in the movies of world war one, where it's this artillery war and tank war. In other words, um, just, you know, people being shot some, but mostly just being completely blown to bits. Yeah. Uh, and of course, lots of drone war and that kind of thing. But it is just an absolute nightmare out there in the killing fields of eastern Ukraine now. And there are hundreds of thousands of casualties on both sides, including tens or possibly even hundreds of thousands killed as well. We're talking two conscript armies who, you know, for all intents and purposes, must be, you know, presumed to not even want to be there at all but are being forced to be there by their national governments. And yeah. it's just an absolute catastrophe. And as, again, I'm sorry, as I know you know, not to repeat myself, but it it, it is very important um, that people catch up to that. There's essentially, a, a, as you're saying, the, the mainstream media speaking for the government now is admitting mm -hmm. that Russia's progress is not going to be reversed here. The question is, are the Ukraine is going to have to give up even more than they've already lost and how much more. And yeah. is Putin even willing to deal now or is he going to press his advantage? Why should he deal right. when the advantage is his at this point? America yeah. has gotten these poor Ukrainians into a terrible mess here, Misty. It's so unfair. It is unfair. And it's very frustrating to watch because I think that, uh, I mean, you and I knew, and I think most of the TNT audience knew, I think anybody who knew anything about anything paying attention to this knew that this was a completely unwinnable situation, uh, that we were using them as, uh, you know, cannon fodder in this ridiculous attempt to weaken Russia economically and militarily. And we've been completely unsuccessful even in that. I mean, I just had Kyle on the show. We talked about, uh, you know, their oil uh, last month, or I think it was in October, they had one of the best months and oil uh, than they that they've ever had. I think the ruble's doing incredibly well. I think that it has been an unbelievable failure on every level. Um, and uh, an entire generation of Ukrainian men has been wiped out. Uh, and now there's some rumors that there's even women being sent uh, uh, to the front lines, which I, I don't think that's been uh, verified officially. But I think that there's been rumors about that for a couple months now. And so it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, but for sure, that is a very it's a horrific situation and something that was completely avoidable. So we have to take a quick break and get headlines. Hang tight. We're going to be back here on TNT Radio. Real news. <laughs> TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. A tragic mass shooting occurred at Charles University in Prague, resulting in 10 deaths and over 30 injuries. 
Former President Donald Trump, despite not being convicted of leading an insurrection, is facing challenges in various states regarding his eligibility for primary ballots in the 2024 election. The New Zealand government plans to stop funding sports organizations that permit transgender women to compete against cisgender women. This decision stems from concerns about fairness and safety in competitions. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, we're here joined by the great Scott Horton. We're talking about Russia, Ukraine. Uh, we're going to dive into a couple other things. But um, uh, you mentioned there that you think that very likely they're going to attempt to at least drag this thing out to 2025. Obviously, it's an election year. This is a bad look for the Biden administration. They know it. If it is, in fact, um, uh, a demonstrable failure, which it already is, in my opinion, but if it if it is a, an official failure uh, and we have to walk away from it. Obviously, that looks very bad. And there's a great article out over at antiwar.com uh, from to, uh, from Dave DeCamp today uh, where he talks about the U.S. eyeing frozen Russian central bank funds to fund Ukraine. Uh, and I think that that just really speaks to the desperation. They know that the United States, the citizens of the United States, are very hesitant to continue to fund this thing. There's been some contention in Congress on uh, who's going to fund what and where, and they're trying to you know uh, make those kinds of wheels and deals um, on you know immigration and all of that stuff. They're trying to, you know, lump all that stuff together in order to fund, get, give Ukraine even more money. Um, I'm just curious because as we've seen, historically speaking, our elections are very rare. Nobody cares about foreign policy. I feel like it might be a little bit different this time around. I feel like there's so much going on uh, with Ukraine, with Gaza. We've got Taiwan on the back burner. There's stuff going on in Venezuela, obviously South Africa, um, is, is Syria. There's there's stuff happening all over the place. And I feel like people are paying more attention now than they really ever have. Um, and with this kind of a thing where they're now eyeing, essentially just stealing money from Russia uh, and using it to fund Ukraine. That is a, that would be a crazy, uh, unprecedented thing that would happen. Uh, but do you think that people are paying more attention to this kind of stuff um, uh, than they have in previous years? Do you think it's going to impact the election in a significant way? Yes. Well, it'd be very interesting to see how it affects the election because both parties, of course, are split where the war party you know, completely controls the Republicans yes. and the Democrats, but the voters don't agree. The voters yeah. are tired of this stuff. And so particularly on Ukraine and Russia with the Republicans and particularly on Israel-Palestine with the Democrats and with also some overlap in there and the overall consensus, look, the number one issue in America by far right now is inflation. Well, what yeah. causes inflation? Price inflation on your shelves that's the effect of the government expanding the money supply. Just like the same reason you would go to jail for counterfeiting is because you're essentially diluting the value of all your neighbor's money by, by fake uh, you know, uh, money printing on your own. Well, that's what they're doing to us all. And everybody can feel it. I mean, it's in your rent, it's in your groceries, it's in your everything. And on TV, they tell you that inflation is lit. Nuh-uh. Only the rate of growth of it has slowed some. But anyone who works for a living or lives paycheck to paycheck, which is almost everyone in this society knows, they can just feel that hurt. And then every time they see on TV, hey, another 50 billion for this war and another 100 billion for that war, that is just a personal slap in the face. I mean, yes. people are living on the edge 
edge or are already over the edge of living outdoors, living in their cars in the Walmart parking lot because they can't afford to live in an apartment even, uh, much less a house, much less own their own property. And so this is, people are right to take offense at this. It is a war against us by our own government in the name of protecting some other sovereign nation 7,000 miles away in a fight that everybody knows our government picked and provoked in the first place. And that you know, it was probably too late for them to solve, but they could at least try to come to a reasonable accommodation and end the war now, save lives and prevent the thing from getting worse. Yeah. And so... Uh, yes, I think you're right that it is an issue for the people in this election. It's right to be exploited. But then, look, the leader on the other side right now is Trump, who has a reputation of not starting new wars, but also has a reputation of continuing Iraq War III until its very brutal conclusion. And as well as continuing, he escalated until he did, and all credit to him for negotiating America's exit from Afghanistan. But he also escalated that air war massively for four years, the same as he did uh, continue the war in Yemen and escalate the war in Somalia and across North Africa as well during his time in office. And, you know, he's talked real tough about Ukraine that, oh, Oh, I'll bring peace. All right. Russia's going to do what I say or else. Oh, great. And so, you know, he, he's got some good instincts, but it's not Ron Paul running over there or even Rand Paul. And so that leaves the American people really, you know, stuck in a very tight bind here. Yeah, no question about it. And I do think that people are, I think, uh, you know, previously, I think people were, were unable to make, and a lot of time is spent trying to prevent people from making, from connecting those dots and seeing that foreign policy is directly related to domestic policy. There's no question about it. And I think that there's been a couple things that have happened this year that have really awakened people to that situation. And I think one of them was the thing I covered at the top of the show, East Palestine, Ohio. Um, and I think another one was Lahaina and Maui. And people are seeing, and they're starting to be like, hey, wait a minute, these are American citizens who are dealing with an unbelievable tragedy in Lahaina their entire city is in ashes and we're we're going to send them $700 per household but we can send billions of dollars to a faraway country to blow people up for profit i think people are fed up with that and so i think that, that i think in my opinion and listen i'm no expert I, you're far more uh, adept at this stuff than i am uh in examining these kinds of trends and the anti-war sentiment and all of that stuff but i think that people are starting to make those connections and it may just be that right now things are all fired up and everybody is paying attention to foreign policy because things are so desperate and dire in so many different locations. But I really do think that people are starting to uh, recognize the game that's being played. And they're starting to realize that all of that money that's being spent elsewhere is money that we cannot spend to uh, on our own citizens, on our own country and addressing the numerous problems <laughs> that we have going on in this country. So uh, right. yeah, I, I'm hopeful for that. I am hopeful for that. We'll see though. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Well, and um, some of this stuff, Misty, is the basic irony of things like you're saying it. East Palestine, sorry, we can't help you. Or right. Palestine, sorry. We can't help you because we're too busy helping the Israelis bomb the real Palestine off the face of the earth, killing these right. people by tens of thousands. I mean, some of this stuff, it's like I say, you know, my little auntie, she doesn't know a whole lot about politics and power, but she knows Joe Biden's too old to be the president. Oh, right? my gosh. Same as every person in America does. What's well, the same yeah. kind of thing here? What do you mean the people of Maui can just go jump in an ocean because we have yeah. to give all their resources to somebody else? 
Now, what the hell is this anyway? It's like our government has been taken over by a foreign power. Yes. But yes. Our own people, <laughs> supposedly, somehow. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And I, you're absolutely right. I think that, um, you know, it, and it's so... Uh, that that dichotomy, the idea that instead of helping people of East Palestine, Ohio, we are sending weapons and funds for Israel to blow up the people of Palestine uh, is it's just disgusting. But I think I mean, that's just who we are, really. I mean, people just need to own up to that. That is who the United States is. That's our method of uh, operation. That's our standard. That That's what we do all across the globe. It's what we've been doing for a very long time. And this is really no different. But I think that that's I think that's what people are just getting fed up with. They're tired of seeing uh, that kind of money being spent on something so nefarious when we have our own issues here at home. So let's take another quick break and we will be back here on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. This was Simone Sanders back in 2016, November to be precise. In my opinion, we don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now. This was her last week on her own MSNBC show. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard a high crime or misdemeanor yet. I, I completely understand. <laughs> Are you going to let me answer the question, ma'am? I know you're a Democrat operative. You work for a Democrat consultant oh, firm. All right, Congressman, let's do it then since we're here. We're out of time, but we're going to do it. I used to, I did used to um, advise, I did used to advise a number of individuals. I've also advised some corporations and companies, but here I'm just here to be an advocate for the viewer. And I will ask you one last time, what is the evidence that the committee has that Joe Biden, while he was president, committed a high crime misdemeanor or treason? Well, you have to ask yourself, ma'am, why does a vice president or a president get $40,000 through a, a Chinese communist corporation that's All been- All right, well, obviously- with that, thank you all very much, Congressman. It's always a pleasure, but you just can't come on here and lie. Simone Sanders only survived her racist, we don't need white people remark back in 2016 because she's a radical leftist. And she eventually got her own show and now she's able to tell a white male Republican congressman that he's a liar after she cuts his mic off. Only in America. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. Eggs. You can fry them, scramble them, poach them, boil them, or race them on a spoon. But uncooked eggs can be a risk for food poisoning. To be safe, avoid buying dirty or cracked eggs. Always wash your hands after handling eggs. And if you're concerned, pregnant, elderly, or have a poor immune system, make sure you cook eggs until the yolk starts to firm. Or look for new pasteurized eggs. For excellent eggs, handle them safely. Cutting through the clutter, this is the Misty Winston Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we're here with Scott Horton, and we're just having a chat about all things foreign policy, of which there is much to discuss. Um, so I want to shift gears now. Let's talk about Gaza. In particular, I want to get your uh, take on the Houthis, because I know that that's also, you've been covering Yemen for a very long time. You've been very engaged in um, you know, trying to get that catastrophe shut down, which it seems to have been, at least for the past couple of years, a little bit calmer over there. Uh, but things are certainly heating back up again now. The Houthis are now using their very strategic location in the Red Sea um, to cause a great deal of economic uh, pressure on Israel uh, uh, by preventing ships from going through uh, uh, th- those waters. So uh, what do you think about the, uh, the these kinds of tactics from the Houthis? And do you think, obviously, it has the potential um, to escalate things, but do you think that the United States is, in fact, going to attack the Houthis? 
Oh, man. Well, first of all, yes, I wish that they would just butt out for their own sake and for the people of Yemen's sake. They're provoking the 900 trillion ton gorilla here in the American yeah. empire, bumbling old Joe Biden in charge of it or not. If they think that he can't send B-52s to level that place or that, you know, there's no chance that he would. They're crazy. And after what that population has been through, truly not yeah. because of the fault of the Houthis, you know, when... When they took power in 2015, they were willing to compromise and work with everyone and including international neighbors. And the Saudis just started bombing them anyway with American support. Um, and then so they have been essentially fighting a defensive war since 2015. Now, in this case, they're butting into an argument right as a peace deal is being finalized between themselves yeah. and the Saudis. And there's credible reporting as um, Dave DeCamp and I think Kyle as well have been keeping track of at antiwar.com, Kyle Anzalone, that um, from The Guardian and I think from Bloomberg, that they were on the verge of finalizing a peace deal and the Saudis want to continue to hold the peace, even though UAE is ready to get back in the brawl and support the United States in doing so. The Saudis, if, if you go back, and I'm sorry, I'm telling the story out of order here, but if you go back to essentially, you know, February, early March, 2022, this would be after Biden had been in power for about a year, the Houthis kept reaching out and touching uh, the Saudis oil refineries near Riyadh, uh, you know, I think two major ones in the beginning of 22, and this had happened repeatedly, but now they're getting closer and closer to the Capitol here. And so somebody with a lot of money and a white robe pulled Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince and de facto king aside and said, enough of this. You're going to bring this thing to an end right now. We're not losing any more economic targets to the Houthis as their drone and missile tech kept improving. And as the Saudis proved that they could do nothing about that fact. So they sued for peace and now there's been a ceasefire essentially holding and they were finalizing a peace deal right when all of this conflict broke out. And yeah. now the Houthis are sticking their nose in and, and are very much risking an American attack and worse, see, zoom out. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think that this could really escalate. I mean, and I mean, listen, this is not, this is very um, basic stuff. This, this has the potential to escalate regionally. I think that there are new, there's so many different levers here. I mean, obviously there's Lebanon, there's Syria, there's Yemen, there's, there's a whole host of stuff and each has their own kind of piece to play their own part to play. There's the, their, the own, everybody's got their own tensions uh, with each other. There, there's, you know, different allies, there's different, and it's just such a um, tenuous situation situation and it feels very uh like we could wake up tomorrow and the entire region could be on fire and that's what and you're right i think that yemen has been in such a precarious position for such a long time and they have been absolutely devastated which i mean obviously as i mentioned you've done incredible work on that um i've watched you give speeches at freedom fest on what the situation in yemen um and you're right there was a, a little bit of um hope there uh and now it seems like this is really uh as you mentioned this is not just the saudis that they are provoking here um um, or not necessarily provoking. That's probably not the right right word to use. But yeah, um, why not? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, it is kind of provoking. But yeah, I mean, it's a uh, that's a that's a big beast to welcome to your doorstep. You know, it's yep. scary. Well, and look, 
just as just as in the case of whether we're talking about Hamas or whether we're talking about uh, the situation in Ukraine, provocation doesn't mean the other side is then justified for killing a bunch of people. Okay, yeah. just the same as when we're arguing that America and Ukraine helped to provoke the war, uh, the Russian attack there it doesn't justify it. That's not the point. Same as the book over my shoulder there enough already is you know largely about how America or chapter one is about how America provoked the Al Qaeda war against the United States. Nobody took that as a rationalization for what they had done, slaughtering American civilians by the thousands. That's not yeah. the point. It's just to explain the truth of what's going on here. So if Joe Biden starts carpet bombing Sanaa tomorrow, it doesn't mean it's justified, but it does mean that, yeah, the Houthis are guilty of felony stupidity if they're going to intervene in this right now, right when they should be taking a moment to regroup and make sure their population has some wheat to eat, for God's sake, for the first time since 2015. And, and zoom out for just one moment. I don't know how well people understand this, but I can say this part, I think, real quick. The so-called Shiite crescent, that's the Middle East power outside of American control, okay? That is Tehran. And their new allies in Baghdad, ever since George W. Bush fought Iraq War II for them in Iraq in 2003 through eight there, Baghdad is now on Iran's side of the ledger. Same with the Assad government in Damascus, Syria, and Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, and including, they call it the Shiite Crescent. You could take the southern point of the crescent moon there and the Houthis down in Yemen. Now, they're not exactly Hezbollah and the 51st state of Iran, but they're friends with Iran, possibly allies at this point, now that America and Saudi have helped push them towards each other over these years. And they, being led by Iran and, and even including Baghdad, they are outside of America's influence. America's alliance system in the Middle East is, of course, the Israelis and the Turks, and otherwise all the Sunni Arabs, and the, the, the Turks are Sunnis, but not Arabs, um, but in all the Sunni Arab kingdoms, right, of the GCC, um, all these sock puppets. So they essentially have to stay mostly silent, and they are ceding the entire issue of support for the Palestinians to the Shiites, even though the Palestinians are Sunni Muslims, other than the Christians, but the ones who are Muslims are almost universally, I believe, uh, Sunnis. They are supported by the Shiite axis here. But then, so that means, you mentioned them before, we have already the situation we talked about in Yemen, but we have Americans still stationed in Syria, again, yeah. to protect Israel and their interests there, who have been uh, the subject of strikes by Shiite militias there and have been fighting back and forth and the same situation in Iraq. And no Americans have been killed yet, although five have been killed in a training exercise, they say, could have been deniable special operations forces, I'm not sure. But in Syria and Iraq, no Americans have been killed yet. But Misty, at one point in Iraq, the Shiite, they say the Shiite militia, I don't know, I guess so. One of these Shiite militias, uh, Qatab al-Hezbollah, one of these, um, threw, uh, uh, fired a, a drone in the window of this barracks, but the thing was a dud. But it could have killed 15 of our guys. And that could have touched off Iraq War Four right there. So when you say that, look, we're in danger of regional war and that the Houthis are helping to contribute to that right now, that is absolutely correct. And that is another you know, reason, 952, why supporting Israel is not in the national interests of the United States of America. They are putting yeah. our guys at risk right now, putting our country at risk of a major regional war that 
conceivably could dwarf Iraq War II and, and truly pull in the Iranians um, who have not been at war since 89 and have a hell of a giant missile force built up ready to destroy American military as well as allied economic targets all up and down the western side of the Persian Gulf there, including our 5th Fleet at Bahrain and our uh, CENTCOM Air Force Command at the Al-Ulid Air Force Base in Qatar, and of course all those refineries in the UAE, Bahrain and Saudi and all the rest of that. A, re a real regional war there you know, it could be essentially as bad as a kind of a war that you could expect to get in short of a major power conflict with an adversary like Russia or China. But yeah. Iran as a mid-sized power and one that doesn't want this beef with us, it would no. be crazy for our government to let this escalate into a war with them right now. But that's the risk that they're running with them yeah. and their and allies so throughout the region. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that's one thing that I, I definitely wanted to talk to you about it, when you said that it, 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 supporting Israel is not in America's best interest, because I feel like that is such a nuanced and um, uh, it's 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 a broad picture uh, perspective. And I think so many people, listen, rightfully so, are very emotionally fired up by this situation. A genocide is playing out in front of our eyes. We are witnessing some of the most horrific crimes against humanity I've ever seen. I have seen more dead kids across my social media feeds than I have ever wanted to see in my entire life. Uh, we've seen some of the most atrocious things happening uh, to the people of Gaza and the West Bank too. We need to also mention the West Bank. Uh, they're also being brutalized. But I think that what you just said, um, it really does take a step back from the emotion of it. And it really does look at it from a, 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 the perspective of this is not in the United States best interest, just period. It's it, it, forget the fact, step away from the genocide, step away from the emotions of it. And in our interest as a country, this is bad for us. And I'm so glad that you're speaking on that perspective. I've not heard really anybody else uh, speak from that perspective, that this is just, um, it, it's, it, it's putting us in a very dangerous and precarious position, period, in general. Um, and it's just, it's, to me, it's just so unbelievably apparent and stupid. Uh, but I mean, listen, when have we, <laughs> when has our foreign policy not been stupid, really? But yes, that is, uh, speak a little bit more about that because I feel like so many people um, need to step back a little bit from the emotion. And I'm guilty of this myself. I think that it's very easy to get yourself emotionally invested and riled up by the devastation and the violence. Um, but it really is just down to the brass tacks of it. This is bad foreign policy in general. Yeah. Well, look, Misty, I mean, think of it like this. Our frustration is that this is our government, supposedly, that represents us, supposedly, that is accomplice to all of this in our name. Well, yeah. think about actually identifying not with the forces that you wish weren't doing this, but literally identifying and, and in a much more realistic and reasonable way with the victims here and how they feel about it, not yeah. just the immediate survivors in Palestine, but people all around the region. And this is what people have to understand about, you know, which the the mainstream media and the government has never been honest with the American people about this, except, of course, the heroic Dr. Ron Paul in 2007 in the great Giuliani moment to explain that Al-Qaeda's war against America always was motivated not by radical Islam, but by radical politics. It was always a reaction against the foreign policy begun especially by H.W. Bush and continued by Bill Clinton through the 1990s of one supporting the Israelis in Israel and in 
uh, Lebanon, I mean, pardon me, in, uh, in the occupied territories of Palestine, as well as in Lebanon. Uh, but also the Israeli insisted upon policy of the dual containment of Iraq and Iran from bases in Saudi Arabia by the United States. So after Iraq War I, they promised they'd leave, but they didn't leave. They stayed. And this was the major motivating factor for bin Laden and the leadership of al-Qaeda. And then very importantly, when it came to the lead hijacker, Mohammed Atta and his buddy Ramsey bin al-Sheib, who was you know, one of the lead coordinators of the attack, and their whole group there, uh, the Hamburg cell, they called them, uh, who became the pilot hijackers on September 11th, they were motivated by Israel. And particularly in 1996, when Shimon Peres invaded southern Lebanon and what he called, re-invaded, I guess, when what they called Operation Grapes of Wrath. And when he did that, Mohammed Atta and Ramzi bin al-Sheib filled out their last will and testament, which was essentially like joining the army and swearing themselves over to a war against Israel and or the United States. And then a couple of months later, bin Laden put out his first declaration of war. It was called Declaration of War Against the Crusaders Occupying the Land of the Two Holy Places. In other words, Saudi Arabia, the Holy Arabian Peninsula, land of Mecca and Medina, birthplace of Muhammad and Islam. And get the hell your forces out of our territory is what it was about. And it included a whole section, of course, about Israel and their brutality against the people of Palestine and of Lebanon. And it wasn't just, oh, we're mad. And I'm sure they it would have been and it could have been, oh, we're just mad about 48 and the establishment of the state of Israel. Plenty to be upset about there with the Nakba and the rest. That's not what it was about. It was about ongoing brutality and war crimes against the civilian populations of the occupied territories and of Lebanon and including um, the Kana massacre of 1996. We now call it the first Kana massacre because they did it again in 2006. Yeah. But anyway, this is what motivated these Egyptian engineering students studying in Germany to follow the call of a Saudi to avenge the people of Lebanon and Palestine, the victims of the Israelis, by attacking the United States of America. And instead of the Bush administration explaining that, oops, this is my dad and Bill Clinton, my dad's new, you know, favorite uh, adopted stepson's fault. Um, instead, nope, they hate us because Mohammed says they have to hate free people who love their mom and Jesus and innocence and the Bill of Rights and stuff like that. And so now we have no choice but to fight a defensive war by invading nation after nation after nation that are all happen to be on Israel's hit list. And the yeah. neoconservatives, that's the same thing's hit list. Yeah. And yes. so that was the the way that they played it and they lie to the American people all along. And so it's just as Ron Paul said, if our government thinks that they can just go around the world inflicting these policies on people, bombing these countries and think that they can get away with that with no consequence and they do that at our own peril. They act yeah. like there's no consequence and truly there is no consequence for them. The planes didn't hit the White House or the Capitol, but they sure killed 3,000 civilians in New York City whose fault it wasn't, the policies that the government had done uh, to provoke that attack. And yes. so that's the exact same kind of risk that we're running right now. And quite frankly, what Israel is doing in Gaza right now makes Operation Grapes of Wrath absolutely pale in comparison. Yes. And, and if you want, they're, they're trying to— Bin Laden is dead and gone right now. Right. 
they're trying to pretend as if this is about destroying Hamas. This is not how you destroy Hamas. This is how you recruit for Hamas. Are you joking? Like, yeah. this is how you ensure or that worse. Hamas continues in purpose. Yes, or worse. You're absolutely right. And that is just, it's mind blowing to me that more people aren't able to recognize that fact. Okay. I'm so sorry to say that we are out of time. I could obviously talk to you for hours about all of this stuff. I love picking your brain about it. Uh, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find your show, all that stuff. Okay, thank you so much for having me again. I'm at libertarianinstitute.org and antiwar.com and scotthorton.org. And I know that's already too many things, but that's uh, the websites and the show. And yeah. so uh, look me up, follow me on uh, YouTube or your favorite podcast catcher and so forth. I got uh, 6,000 interviews and counting for you here. Yeah, and Scott's show is, I, I listen to all of the episodes. It's definitely a must listen. You can also follow him on Twitter at Scott Horton Show. Uh, and all of those links are obviously on my Substack as they are every day for each guest. So thank you so much for taking the time, Scott. I appreciate you as always. I'll be back tomorrow with Kit, uh, my friend Kit from Hardlands Media. As Julian Assange says, learn, challenge, act now, and don't go anywhere. Timothy Shea's right after this here on TNT Radio.